welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, this is a, a great opportunity to, for even for myself, to, to honor you know the fathers in my life, and so just want to say you know Happy Father's Day even to my dad. Uh, this morning, you know, he was a man who 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 moved from the warm Caribbean to you know the cold streets of Ottawa, you know, with his young family, and uh, and started a new life in Canada. And uh, I have a young family now, and and it, it, there are struggles, so I can't even imagine the struggle of having to, to leave your home and go to someplace totally new you've never been before and then start having a new family there. And so my dad endured a lot, um, but now my brother and I are, are, are living and thriving um, and just uh, are so blessed that, uh, you know, my parents and my dad also made that decision, you know, to make this trip here. So dad, thank you for that. I honor you this morning uh, for making that, that call. Um, and then as well, my, my father-in-law is just a great man. He's just so awesome. He just uh, treats me so well. And uh, he's, he's, always, he's always nearby to help out with, uh, with things around the house and, and uh, car stuff too. So I'm so thankful for him. And there's obviously an opportunity to say, hey girls, Mahalia and Naomi, hopefully you are enjoying Doc McStuffins right now because uh, I know you girls love that show. You know... Um, this morning I was going to say, if you can, if you got your, if you got a Bible nearby or, or if you can, if you want to go and, and grab one, that'd be great. I should have said it earlier. Um, but even if you have, just have it on your, on, um, an app on your phone, you may want to have it with you, uh, only because what we're going to be looking at today, uh, is actually two chapters. We're going to be looking at two chapters and how these two chapters in the book of Psalms, there's only 10 verses per chapter. Okay. So it's only 20 verses. Don't freak out. Okay. But how these two chapters speak into each other and reveal something of the, of the father, um, of, of the father, our, of God, our father, but also reveal something about us and, and how his qualities are reflected in our lives. We don't become divine when we become children of God. You know, we don't become God, but what we do receive is we receive an inheritance of all kinds of things. We receive an inheritance of of power and authority. We receive his authority to, to cast out demons as we've been learning about, you know, in the authority of his name, we can cast out demons. We can cast down strongholds that proclaim himself against the knowledge of Christ. Right. Um, but we also receive anointing. So we're set apart. We are given authority to, to speak the truths of God here on this earth in this broken world. We have the authority to be the light of the world as he is the light of the world to be salt of the earth as he is salt. You know, so it's like we get to receive all those things. And, um, and more, and, and, and the, obviously the most significant thing is that we become his beloved children. We become his beloved, um, and his love, uh, empowers us to do good, which is so awesome. But we can have this knowledge. We can have all this understanding, right? Um, I, I got all these things I've said, you've probably heard them before, but there is a bit of a disconnect, isn't there? there there's an ongoing struggle that we face where we know these things, but we don't actually live them out. Right? Like we actually live by another source. And I want to talk about that other source a little bit. Um, I, I like to call it the, um, the imposter syndrome, or more biblically correct, uh, the flesh or indwelling sin. 
But I'll, let me talk about it as being sort of the imposter syndrome because, you know, all of us have this notion, this deep belief in, in, in each and every one of our minds that there is something wrong with us, right? And that's what the imposter syndrome basically is. It's just this deep belief that there's something fundamentally wrong with me or you, that if people see it, that they will either reject us or harm us. So we do everything in our ability to, to, to hide that deep knowledge, to, to avoid it, or maybe to hide ourselves from other people. And so it can come out in different ways. For myself personally, um, I, I do really struggle. I did really struggle with this. I still struggle with this in a lot of ways where I don't always feel like I'm going to be accepted by people. And I feel like an imposter among others. I feel like I shouldn't be here. I'm not, I'm not worthy enough to be here. And so what I might do is I might perform or overperform in order to prove to others that I can be accepted. Right. I mean, anyone else there? You can just, you know, raise a hand. <laughs> just say amen and you're, where you're sitting. Yeah, totally. Like, like I, I will actively do things um, above and beyond to demonstrate that I am worthy of acceptance because I believe or I have this belief system that if people really knew who I was, if I just let myself be myself, that I will be rejected or harmed. Now, the imposter syndrome can do something else. It could do the total opposite where you feel like an imposter among others. You know, you feel like you're not good enough to be in your company. You feel like you're bad or you, or you can never be accepted. And so what you do is that you hide. You don't overperform, but you hide. You don't, you don't do anything. You, you want to blend into the walls. You know, you, 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 want to, you, you don't want to shake things up too much. You don't want to say too much. You don't want to be seen too much. You don't want to be heard. You know, because if people heard or saw you or really knew you, and well, then they'd reject you. That's this imposter syndrome. All of us struggle with this in different ways. You know, some people hide things about themselves. Some people say too much. You know, some people share too much about themselves, you know, in the hope that they could get the battle over with. You know, it's like I share so much about myself that I'm hoping that you'll just reject me. You know, I put it all out there and, you know, I'm just hoping that you will reject me so I don't have to deal with the rejection later. Let's just deal with the rejection now. And some people never share anything about themselves because they're hiding. You know, I, I have an example of this in my own life, kind of growing up in, um, in high school and where I've shared this before in, in some ways, but, you know, I came to faith. And when I came to faith, um, I was already a performer, like I kind of explained. But I, but I still believed that I was an imposter, even though I was a Christian, right? Even though I'm a child of God, even though I have the mind of Christ, all those things, even though I'm... 100% accepted by God. It has nothing to do with my performance. I still believe that voice. And so what I did is that I behaved above and beyond the normal Christian so that I would be accepted by Christians. And these performances were all praiseworthy. All the things that I did, um, you know, I tried to save all my friends. I was like this, like, like I ran this prayer club and did all these things. I was kind of overzealous with my faith. But I would do all these things and still feel terribly, terribly dissatisfied. Because there was no life in the performance itself. There was no life in people's acceptance. There was nothing to be found there. There was only life to be found in Jesus. Even though I had him, I wasn't living from that source. But I was living from the source of the imposter syndrome. That was motivating me to do good. 
And that is not what God has called us to, but he's called us to freedom, freedom from listening to those voices so that we could live in the freedom of his life being expressed through us. And in that way, the real us is actually expressed, right? I mean, God's love and character being expressed through my personality, being expressed through um, my giftings that he has already planned He's already given me, but also to do good things that he's already planned in advance for me to do. What a blessing. You know, I watched the movie, um, uh, She's the Man recently, okay? Not endorsing the film, uh, necessarily. I mean, obviously watch it if, if, if it's in your age range. But such a funny movie. It's based on Twelfth Night by Shakespeare. And, but it's based like, uh, it's sort of like a high school teen, you know, drama comedy. And it's about this, you know, this girl who wants to play on us on the guy's soccer team because her, her girl's soccer team has been canceled and there's only a guy's soccer team. So she goes to another school and pretends that she's her twin brother so that she could play and she's good enough to play and she could play with all the boys and everything else. Now, she's an imposter, right? But what I think is so funny about this film is that there's a truth in it. And that's good comedy, right? Because good comedy always is talking about a truth that you understand. So you're watching this and you're, you're, you're full of suspense about like, okay, will she be found out? Will she continue as an imposter and, and actually get where she needs to go? Or will people find out? And there's all these moments where that kind of happens. And then, and then, and you're just laughing away while you're watching it because she's trying so hard to just keep this persona up. But the reason why that story, the essence of that story works in the 1500s and works now in the 21st century is because it speaks to a truth that all of us understand that we're in some way hiding this part of us that we feel is unacceptable or not good enough to get what we want or to be who we want to be. And so we are trying to find life apart from the source, apart from God inside of us. And that is the flesh. I mean, that's what we inherited. It's indwelling sin. We inherited it from Adam. And uh, it lives in us. I'm not going to go into too much detail because Pastor Ross is going to talk more about it next week. And I know you're excited about that. If you haven't watched last or listened to last week's sermon, you got to go back and do it. But it is this thing that lives inside of us since we were children, reminding us that there's something wrong with us. And it's taking the natural desires that we have to find life and distorting it and leading us to finding it apart from God in order to bring us death that we experience death in everyday life. Even though we achieve good things, we still have this gnawing dissatisfaction that we are not good enough and nothing else will satisfy until we accept Christ as our life. Now, we're going to be looking at Psalm 111 and Psalm 112. And what we're going to see here is kind of what I talked about before, which is we're going to see what it, what the father is like, what his works and deeds are, but what it looks like to be a child of God and what it looks like to be the righteousness of God. What does it look like to live that way? And it's an important picture so that we could look at it, even though it's in the Old Testament, but we can look at it with New Testament eyes and, and say, wow, this is what it looks like to be a child of God so that we don't get distracted with the imposter syndrome, trying to become something we're not. Right? I mean, that's what a hypocrite is. It's like when you don't actually be who you actually are. But we, are, we have been made righteous in Christ. And so Psalm 111 um, talks to us about God, but then 
it also talks about what it's like to be his child. And so we're going to look at what that looks like for each and every one of us this morning. Because it's important that we accept God's acceptance of us as his children. I'm going to say that again. It's important that we accept God's acceptance of us as his children. So this way we live out of his love and care for us. We live out of his life. And then by doing that, we are choosing to walk by the spirit. And as children of God, we're remembering that we have inherited his provision. We have inherited his benevolence. We've inherited his character um, and, and his qualities, but also we've inherited his victory. So I hope this talk is a, is a real blessing to you as we d- jump in. So let me pray quickly, and then we'll, we'll, we'll look at that, those two chapters together. Well, Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, that uh, you've revealed yourself to be a father to us, that you revealed yourself to be a good father. And maybe some of us are listening today. We haven't really received that because maybe we didn't have great fathers. And so we're imposing that image on you of what we've already experienced. So Jesus, I pray that today that you would reveal uh, to us the, the sacrifice that you made uh, to reunite us with our Father so we could see him as he is. Uh, help us to know you today by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so you're like, okay, why two chapters? This is crazy. Well, I'll let me just explain it in a little bit of detail. So uh, Psalms are, are poems, and so you can't approach them the same way you approach any other piece of scripture. It's a little bit different because the way that they were written, they were written with inter- and certain, uh, a certain intention, rather, uh, to teach you something. And it was written in a certain way to communicate something. So, for example, psalms and poems use a lot of metaphors and a lot of illustrations, but they also use a, a tool called parallelism. And so you'll see parallelism actually between two chapters, or you'll see it between two lines in a psalm. And you'll notice this. This doesn't happen too often with two chapters, but for whatever reason, for Psalm 111 and Psalm 112, I mean, the guys who originally, the, you know, the church fathers who originally put the Bible together, you know, they read those two Psalms back to back and they said, wait, wait, these two belong together. They're not sure who wrote it. It kind of sounds like, like Solomon because the fear of the Lord is, is a big theme there. Uh, so they're kind of debating that. But either way, it's just evident these two are supposed to be the same. You know why? Because they're both acrostic poems. So every line in the psalm, every line in these poems are actually successive. They start with successive letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So alpha, bet, gamut, like A, B, C. And that was a memorization tool. It was mnemonic so that people would be able to learn and memorize the value and the virtues placed into these words without having it with them all the time. They'd be able to memorize it because of the way that it was shaped. And then on top of that, they're supposed to be, it's very apparent they're supposed to be parallel. So Psalm 111 verse one and Psalm 111, sorry, Psalm 112 verse one have similarities. And you'll see that if you look at right now in your Bible, you'll see that there's, there's similarities between the, the, the numeric verses. One obviously is that um, it, Psalm 111 describes, for example, his, his righteousness. So it's talking about God, his righteousness endures forever. But then the theme of 112, it's very evident, is that, that it's about those who are children of God, those who are righteous. And it says his righteousness. So talking about a man or ourselves, their righteousness endures forever. 
So we can see parallels, and by those parallels, we can understand more about what those verses mean. So we're not going to read all of Psalm 111, for example, but we are going to be focusing on Psalm 112 and what it says about us as children of God. And why is that important? It's important because we need to accept God's acceptance of us as children, as children of God so that we do not live according uh, to the um, imposter syndrome. We don't live according to the flesh, but so that we can walk boldly by the Spirit. Okay, so let's read um, Psalm 112 all the way through. Ten verses, okay? Here we go. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offering, his offspring will be mighty in the land, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He, this is talking about us, he is gracious and merciful and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever, and he is not afraid of bad news. I love that. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord, and his heart is steady, and he will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. There's so much there. Um, He has distributed freely and he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted. And the wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away and the desire of the wicked will perish. Uh, What what a word to speak over um, all of us today. What a word to speak over fathers, you know, just for us to receive that as dads, you know, uh, if you're a father listening to us today. So let's look at let's look at that first verse. So first um, verse one of Psalm 112. So it says, "Praise the Lord! Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments." Now I have to say something about the fear of the Lord very carefully, uh, very very quickly. So we can get confused when we see that term, right? Um, because because you also hear other commandments where they say, "Well, don't be afraid," but all of a sudden we're supposed to be afraid of God. And the, ver- the, the verb in Hebrew doesn't change. I mean, fear is fear, whether it's used describing fear of the Lord or do not fear. So it, there has to be something necessarily about the context of what we're reading, necessarily about the theme of what we're reading that, that qualifies that verb fear. And what we'll see right away is that Psalm 112 and verse 1 and verse, um, and verse 1, sorry, just saying verse 1, it's actually two lines. And again, we see a parallelism. So anytime when you're reading scripture, especially Psalms, if you see two lines together, the first line is is a description, but then the second line is close to it, right? It's together, and it's meant to qualify the first line. So again, the first line is a description, but the second line is meant to qualify the first line. So in other words, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. So who is someone who fears the Lord? What does that look like? Well, it's someone who greatly delights in his commandments. So we have a picture of what it looks like to fear the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, okay, they, they would have read this and been like, okay, well, we gotta be really, we gotta be on top of this. We gotta, we gotta make sure that we we follow all the commandments. You know, uh, we read about Ezra telling the people of Israel, you know, come back to the to the law, and you know, he can, and and he actually his descendants of people who were trying to bring people back to the law actually end up becoming the Pharisees, and then we know about the Pharisees onward, where they knew a lot about the commandments. You might even say they delighted in the commandments, but they were doing it out of a 
different source. They weren't doing it from the source of life of Christ or life of God inside of them. And so no matter what, it still brought death. So now with new covenant ears and eyes, we look at this verse and we say, okay, what does it look like to fear the Lord? What does it mean for me to delight in his commandments? Well, I think it's very important for us to remember um, Jeremiah uh, chapter 31, verse 33, that says that I will put, this is God speaking about the new covenant and new covenant believers. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So we have God's word written on our hearts. This is a way of describing what has happened through the cross, right? We actually had the essential, the, the, the essence of our being, like our, our spirits, our spirits were totally disconnected from God through sin, through indwelling sin. But through the cross, Jesus conquered the power of sin and we had the opportunity to die with him when we believed, right? So the essence of our being died and was buried. Our essence of our being that was disconnected from God, it could never be connected again. It died and now we were born to new life with Jesus. We were resurrected with him, you know, like Romans 5 talks about, and what happens is we get a new spirit, a new resurrected spirit. And it's another way of describing our hearts, the essence of our being. It has now been made righteous. And so not only that, it's also been joined with God's spirit. So now it's natural to us. Again, I'll say it's natural to us to delight, to delight in the commandments of the Lord. It's natural to us. Now we have something else, right? We still have indwelling sin in our bodies, right? We won't be rid of that until until we have our bodily resurrection because it's part of our bodies. However, we do have now in our essence of our being, we have a, a desire and to, to follow God's commands. We, we want to do it. It's natural to us that we can live out of that and delight again in his commandments. So in other words, what's an example of someone who fears the Lord? Well, it's somebody who trusts the power of God to do good who trusts the power of his word, that when he says, trust me and walk by the spirit, that we can trust that even though we don't feel like it, right? We can take a step forward in faith, even if we don't feel like it. And continue to trust and walk in the spirit and have the the spirit of God, his desires lived out in each and every one of us, have his life be the motivation for what we do rather than some imposter syndrome that's trying to empower us uh, to do things, but only leads to death and dissatisfaction. And I mean, this is, this, is, this is the blessing of what we receive. This is what it is to fear the Lord. I mean, again, the Old Testament writers and readers would have said, well, we, yeah, we fear the Lord because of the power of the Lord to do harm to us if we don't do right. But we fear the Lord. We have an affectionate reverence for God and his word because we are aware of his power to do good to us because he has done good to us. It is by his love that we now are able to love him and love others, right? Is his love was the initiator. Okay, let's keep, let's keep going. So Psalm, now 111 verse two says that his offspring will be mighty in the land and the generation of the upright will be blessed. Now let's go right over to um, verse three. It says wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Now, I do want to go back quickly to Psalm 111. We just take a quick look at that. So Psalm 111 verse three says this. 
So full of splendor and majesty is his work and his righteousness, again, endures forever. So we see that there's a comparison between these two verses. There's, there's parallelism there. God's splendor and majesty is in God's work. And those who are God's children, those who have been united with him and have been born again as children of God, what happens? Wealth and riches are in their house. They share in the inheritance of what God does. And their righteousness endures forever, which is such a blessing to, for us to know. Like our righteousness is not going anywhere. Nothing can, can remove it. The power of sin is not greater than the power of, of Jesus and his, and his, and his grace and, his, and, and, and the cross. It's not more powerful than that. There's nothing that you can do to lose your righteousness now. Because if that was possible, then that means what Adam did was more powerful than what Jesus has, has done. Right? So we need to receive that. So our righteousness endures forever. But you're reading this, you're like, wealth and riches. Okay, Raman. Let's go. Prosperity gospel. Hit me. Right? Let's look, let's look pretty closely at this word wealth and riches. Because some of you are reading this too, and you're like, where's my wealth and riches? Well, the word wealth um, is a very important word. And I'm going to explain it to you in Hebrew as I pull it up here on my screen. Uh, the Hebrew word for wealth is hone. Everyone say hone. So hone is wealth, but wealth is, is part of a way to describe it. I mean, the translators would say wealth because it's kind of the simplest way to translate it so that it's readable in English. But the fullest description of the word is actually to be light. Okay, so to be light or easy or sufficiency. So in other words, light and easy sufficiency are in the house of the righteous. Oh, what does that give you a picture of? I mean, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean wealth as in you, you are, you are now Jeff Bezos. It doesn't mean that it means that your sufficiency, your provision, it is light and easy. How it comes to you is not a burden. You're, you're, you know, we might still, you know, live under Adam's curse in that sense, but we can choose by walking by the spirit to work out of a place of rest. And so we can go and earn money or we can earn provision for our families. And it comes from a place of rest. It doesn't come from the same strain and striving that he experienced. There's this light, or that maybe that we used to experience, I should say. We have this light or easy sufficiency. And you kind of know what I'm talking about in some senses, right? Hopefully you have experienced that where you, you are in a place where you're at a place where there's lack, you know, you don't have enough of something, you know, um, you know, maybe you're worried about where the next paycheck is going to come from, or maybe you're, you're worried about, you know, groceries or, you know, we're going to have enough money or, or food to feed your family. Right. And all of a sudden just things work out, you know, you get a knock on the door or, or there's a, 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 an envelope in your mailbox and there's a check in it or, you know, you, we've all heard these stories, but we've all experienced it too, where God provides for us as we are trusting in him as his righteous children of God. And even sometimes when we don't, he loves to remind us that he is a loving father who provides for his children. And we find a way to make it, you know, God provides for us. So maybe it's not necessarily about wealth, but it's about sufficiency. You're able, everything you have in your life is sufficient to make it through today. It's sufficient to make it through this week. It's sufficient to make it through this month, right? Okay. Now let's talk about riches. 
Everyone's like, yes, riches. Come on, Raman. Tell me it's, it's like coins, you know, coins. <laughs> tell me, tell me it's extra zeros on my salary. Well, this word riches here, it's, it's actually properly explained as um, to become rich or, or in other words, as we've heard in scripture too, the power to become rich, the power to earn money, the power to earn wealth, right? Like that's, that is something that's a wisdom, maybe not necessarily wealth as being like filthy rich, but it's, we have a, a, an ability you know, through the wisdom that we have through God to look at our finances and handle them in a godly way, in a way that actually helps us to be sufficient. Right. The other thing about riches is that it also gives a visual picture. Actually, in Hebrew, it gives a visual, visual, uh, visual picture of, and they use the term herbage, which means that you have a lot of vegetation and your gardening goes really good. There you go, gardening gang. And you just have enough food to eat. So obviously, in this agrarian society, we're not. They're not. It's not necessarily directly towards having finances, but it's about actually having enough food to eat or an abundance of food to eat. So the point that you can, you know, we're going to talk about this later, but, you know, freely give what you've been given. So this is an inheritance of the righteous, right? We don't have to live out of this imposter syndrome. When we live out of our inheritance as children of God, we step into this place of light and easy sufficiency. No, everything doesn't go well all the time, but God does provide for us. No, things don't go. We don't have everything we want. We don't know, you know, we, we don't know every know what's going to happen, you know, job to job or, or in your job right now. You don't know what's going to happen with that. But it doesn't matter. God is going to care for you. And he's going to make sure that you have enough to endure today, this week, this month. He's going to give to you. Matter of fact, he, he himself is our provision. Jaira, there you go. He himself is our provision, Jehovah Jireh. He is enough and he will provide for us. Why? Because our righteousness endures forever. We don't have to worry about it going away. And we don't have to worry about our performance being a reason for him to not love us and care for us. That should give you some peace of mind today. Okay, we're on verse four. Let's keep going. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright, right? He is gracious and merciful, and righteous. Oh, this is so beautiful. Light dawns in the darkness. You know what I love about this is that it doesn't say the righteous have no darkness. Right? It doesn't say the righteous do not experience darkness. What does it say? It says, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. For those who are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, for those who are ambassadors of Christ, those who walk by the Spirit, who trust and accept who they are as children of God, light dawns in the darkness. I mean, this is what those, the, the original scribes of this psalm wanted the people of Israel to understand. They wanted to understand you can trust God. He's always going to come through for you. We want you to remember this by making it an acrostic and a parallel with the other chapter. We want you to remember this, that even when you're in the midst of darkness, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. And now this is a comparison again with Psalm 111, verse 4. If you don't mind, Mark, we just go back there really quickly. Mark is doing a great job. Uh, he has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. And if we go back to uh, chapter 112, verse 4, what does it say? It says, the righteous are gracious 
and merciful and righteous. So we've inherited these qualities from him. We have the mind of Christ. You know, um, I, I love how I love how First John four seventeen says that as Christ is, um, so are we in this world. So we have we have inherited the qualities. We've inherited God's spirit, and so that the fruits, or the fruit, I should say, the fruit of the spirit is expressed in our lives. So that no matter where we are, if we're working and we have an assistant who doesn't know Jesus has questions about our faith, well, the fruit of the Spirit could be peace and love, obviously joy, gentleness, you know, and we can live out of that. People can see that and notice that something's different in us. But if we live out of the imposter syndrome that we're, you know, some, we're bad and we have to put on an act and, and you know, and fake it, you know, it, you know we, we miss out on the power of God doing a good work in and through us and doing it in rest. Because when we don't do that, we're always striving, striving to get people to, to love Jesus and follow Jesus, you know, um, beating them over the head with the Bible. No, 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 no. Listen, there's going to be opportunities given, and God wants to work in and through us to reveal himself to others, to our families and our communities and our neighbors. Man, that's so powerful. So again, how do we live avoiding um, the, living out of the imposter syndrome? Well, we accept our acceptance as children of God. We choose to walk by the Spirit by remembering that we are God's children who have inherited his provision. But our next point I want to talk about is that we, are, we do not have to live out of the um, imposter syndrome. Uh, we can instead live as God's children who inherit his benevolence, inherit his character. So let's go now to um, verse 5. So verse 5 says this of Psalm 112. It says, It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. Now, Psalm 111, verse 5 says this. God, so he provides for those who fear him. And he remembers his covenant forever. He remembers that Christ died for you and that you died with Christ and that you've been made a child of God. There's nothing you can do to, to, to have that erased. So then the covenant has been established. You are, you are accepted by God and he loves you. But it says he provides food. Isn't that interesting? And then, and obviously if we go back to Psalm 112, verse five, what does it say? Well, us as children of God, we've inherited his, his character as his child. You know, like father, like son, like father, like daughter. So what does it look like to be the righteous of God? Well, those who, those who are, righteous, are righteous and are walking, you know, by the spirit, they, they deal generously. They deal generously and, and they lend and they, and they conduct all of their affairs with justice. They don't, they don't treat people um, partially, they treat people impartially, and and they live and they and they live out of that fruit of the spirit, and that's a great picture for us to see. Psalm uh, one hundred twelve, verse six. We're on verse six now. For the righteous will never be moved, and he will be remembered forever. Now, if we go to Psalm one hundred and eleven, so you go back and look at that one. It says this: that he has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations now i do want to explain this right because i mean an old testament an old covenant reader would see this and be like okay i, I understand this in this picture it's the picture of joshua taking the people of israel into canaan they go into canaan and they conquer you know parts of canaan most of it and what do they inherit they inherit um, castles, like, like buildings they didn't have to build. 
walls they didn't have to build to protect themselves, vineyards they didn't have to plant, you know, wells they didn't have to dig. God gave them the inheritance of the nations. The King James Version actually says here, instead of nations, it says the inheritance of the heathen. So God gives the wealth of unbelievers, will give the wealth of unbelievers to the believers. But let's jump back over to verse 6. Of, of Psalm, uh, one, uh, sorry, Psalm chapter 112. It says this, for the righteous will never be moved. He'll be remembered forever. Now here's the importance of this, of these two comparisons is that that word moved is the word mot in Hebrew is where we always hear, which is a theme in Psalms, right? The theme is always um, the righteous will never be shaken or never be moved or never totter. And we read that all the time. We're like, what does that mean? Well, it's actually a visual, again, another Hebrew visual picture of, you know, planting a, a tent. Like you're putting, you're taking the poles of a tent, you're putting it in the ground and, and, it, and it's staying there and it, and it won't be uprooted by the wind, by heavy winds in the desert. And so again, it's a visual picture that this group of people would understand. We'll never be shaken. We'll never be insecure, right? Because a shelter would give you security. A tent would give you security, especially if you're a nomadic culture. It gives you a certain sense of security. You're blocked from the, from the wind, but now the wind won't knock it down. It won't want, knock down your tent because it's sturdy. And even for us as New Covenant believers, where have we been planted? Where are we now? We are seated at the right hand of the Father with Christ in Christ. We, we are seated in heavenly places as Ephesians talks about. Ephesians 1 talks about. We are seated in heavenly places with God. That's not going anywhere. Currently, that's where we are. We are the righteousness of God. We are as safe as we could ever be. Because we are in him and he is in us. Lord over all um, heaven and the earth and over all principalities and powers. He is our loved one and we love him. And he loves us and we're safe. So that's, that's a picture we want to have. Like we'll never be moved. We'll never be uprooted from this place of righteousness. We're safe or secure. Uh, let's jump right now to Psalm um, 112, verse 7. It says this. I love it. He is not afraid of bad news. This is, the, this is the righteous describing us. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Now, we all know what it's like, right, to not to be afraid of bad news. We all know what it's like when our hearts are not firm and what it's like to not trust in Jesus. And that's just an example of when we choose not to live by you know, we choose not to live by the spirit. We choose to, you know, walk according to the flesh, right? And, 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 and live out of our imposter syndrome, right? Which is, which is afraid, which is a, it's always in fear of being found out, always in fear of, it's always insecure. But instead of we live out of what it is to be a child of God, we are instantly mature. We're not, we're not immature. We're not insecure. We're, we're totally safe. And we can accept and acknowledge that we don't have to be afraid of bad news. And I love how it says that there's going to be bad news for the righteous. I mean, how many of us have had bad news recently? Diagnoses, you know, family members passing away. You know, they're not sending the kids back to school. All kinds of bad news, right? But the righteous's heart is firm as he trusts in God, trusting in the Lord. This is an example of those who fear the Lord. It's an example of what it is to be a child of God. We don't have to live out of an imposter syndrome. We can live fully trusting in him and living out of the power that comes from that. Um, 
Verse 8 says, his heart is steady and he will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. So not only do the righteous experience um, darkness, not only do they experience um, adversaries, not only do they experience bad news, we're also going to find out later that, that, that the wicked actually hate them and they come after them because they are righteous, right? So we experience all these things, but we can trust fully. And this is an example. This is a characteristic of the righteous. They can wait patiently until justice is served by God. They're not going out there looking for justice and picking fights. They're waiting patiently for God to redeem. They're not trying to defend their reputation, um, but they've accepted that Christ is a reputation. So maybe there are places and times for us as believers where people have come against us and maybe have you know, ridiculed us or called us hypocrites or, or actually told us, well, there is something wrong with you. Well, listen, you don't need to receive that and say, okay, well, I guess I am an imposter. You, you don't need to receive that, but you can stand firm in the fact that, yes, I am the righteousness of Christ and you can speak boldly about, you know, who you are and defend yourself if that's necessary. I know I've been on the other end of that so many times in my own life where it's like, well, if someone brought an accusation against me, it was much easier to receive the accusation than to stand up for myself. But we can stand up for ourselves and not fight for retribution. You know, uh, we can stand up for ourselves and, and not assume justice. Rather, we can wait and assume that God is going to take care of that, that he is going to bring justice against our adversaries. And this is, this is a perfect picture. The righteous looks, he will wait. And he will not be afraid until he looks in triumph. He will wait for that day patiently. He has the fruit of the spirit to wait patiently for those things um, and not take retribution, um, but allow God to bring vengeance as, as he says he will. Okay. Now let's go over to verse nine quickly. So verse 9 says this, he has distributed freely and he has given to the poor. This is a description of the righteous. His righteousness endures forever again. So it's repeated. We know this theme is about the righteousness of God, those who are righteous. Why? Because I mean, look, this word righteous is, re is repeated four times in this chapter. And his horn is exalted in honor. I mean, usually when you read that, you just skip over it because you're like, I don't have a horn. Um, or I don't have like a, a ram's horn, like a shofar, right? You're just blowing it, you know, in a, in a worship service. Yeah, I'll wait to that moment when I can do that, you know, in person, right? Or maybe the horn is a saxophone. Anyway, let's not do that. So the, that word horn is very interesting. Uh, it actually is just supposed to be a description, a visual picture of your head. So his head is exalted in honor. And that reminds me so much of that verse um, in first Peter, you know, that Lisa shared, you know, even last week, you know, if we, if we were patient, you know, under, under, under God's mighty right hand, you know, he will exalt us at the right time. He will exalt us. He will lift our heads. If our head has been downcast, if we've come under ridicule or, or our reputation has been smeared or, or even if we're doing it against ourselves and we're beating ourselves up, you know, for things that we've done right or haven't done. And we can instead trust that, you know, in God's good time, he's going to exalt us. He's going to make, he's going to make good. He's going to honor us, but we need to wait. We need to be patient um, as God does. And he will do that work. 
You know, so maybe we are under the mighty hand of God in the lost scenarios in our lives today. But maybe we just need to stop and pause and remember that he will take care of us in the midst of that. In his due time, he will exalt us. Uh, he will lift us up um, and there will be honor due. I did skip something a little bit. I did want to say something about verse nine. And that's, I think we're still on verse nine, Mark. So we're good. But that word distributed freely uh, is actually, uh, it's, an, it's an emphatic verb. And we, it's easier to translate as distributed, but actually it means scatter. So it's also supposed to give this like emphatic uh, visual picture of just throwing away, you know, it's like just giving so freely to the poor. Why? Because, because the, the righteous know where their wealth and comes from. Now I'm not advocating right now that we sell everything to the poor and then we become righteous, right? Cause we understand the rest of that um, part of the gospels, but it is a description of what it means to have wealth, to, to live in the essence of the fact that God is our provider, that we don't have to hoard or, or hold on to things too tightly that we can have kind of a loose grip on what we have. And that when there's opportunity to give, we can be led by the Spirit to give freely. We can be led by the Spirit to give freely. Why? Because we know where our provision comes from. We know that He is our provision. And when He calls on us to give, we can trust that voice. I mean, I struggle with that a lot. I mean, I do struggle with that. I mean, more often than not, the imposter syndrome wants me to, you know, uh, avoid uh, scenarios, <clears throat> avoid scenarios where I have to give too much of my time or too much of my effort or, or things like that. But it's like, it's such a good um, and trusting thing to know that he is always providing for us. And so whatever we, whatever he calls us to give, that we could trust that he will, he will replenish. And so we can distribute freely. We can scatter as it says. All right. And last is verse 10. We made it. Verse 10. I do want to say something quickly about verse 10. I'm just going to pull it up here. Right, because when we accept our acceptance as children of God, um, we're deciding not to live by the imposter syndrome. We're, excited, we're accepting to be who we are, that we've also inherited as God's children his victory. And verse 10 is very interesting. It says, the wicked man sees it. The wicked man sees it. And what's the it that we've been talking about? Well, the it is all the blessings of what it is to be the righteousness of God. And the wicked man sees it, and he is angry. So we've also inherited enemies by becoming children of God. We're going to learn more about that next week, right? We've learned about it a little bit last week. But we've inherited enemies. But not only that, we've also inherited his victory. Uh, we, we've, we've inherited his authority now to, to, to cast out demons. We've inherited his authority now to say no to the strongholds of the flesh that Bars. We've inherited his, um, his authority now to speak against sickness and, 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 to, and to speak healing and to pray for healing and expect healing because of the power that's been invested in us as jars of clay. What, what, what an amazing thing. So we've inherited his victory, even though we've inherited um, enemies. And the wicked man will see the prospering of the righteous and, and hate it and, and come against you. I mean, this is a good reminder that, you know what, <laughs> like Jesus said, you know, don't be discouraged if people hate you because of me. Don't be discouraged. I mean, they hate me. 
Sometimes we, 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 we receive accusation or things come against us and we're like, okay, well, there's something wrong with me. Maybe, maybe God hates me or maybe God's punished me why I'm, you know, because I've done such and such a thing, right? Or maybe we say, maybe I'm deserving of this treatment because I am an imposter, because I'm actually bad. When really what's happening is that we have come to live now as righteous children of God. We've received that, uh, that judgment. We've received that great accolade that we are his children. And so, the, and so God wants to bless us and the enemy hates that. God wants to live through us. The enemy and his fallen angels, the flesh hates that. Um, and the world is rebelling against the natural order that God set up also hates that. So we've inherited enemies, but we've also inherited victory as well. But look what it says about the wicked. It says his, he gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Quickly, let's go to um, Psalm 111, verse 10. And we're, we're going to see a little parallel here. Um, actually, I, I'm sorry. I'm actually going gonna, gonna to say verse 9, because verse 9 is kind of part of that a little bit. So go to verse 9. So it says, He sent redemption to his people, and he has commanded his covenant forever. And holy and awesome is his name. Now let's go to verse 10. Excellent. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all those who practice it have good understanding and his praise endures forever. So what does it mean? Again, here we see this fear of the Lord. And even that word before in, in verse nine, that word awesome, it's actually translated God is holy and is to be feared. Like that's what it actually is supposed to say in Hebrew. It's supposed to be, he is holy and to be feared is his name. To be feared is his authority. He has the power to do good, but he also has the power to destroy and to do bad <laughs> to the wicked. And so they acknowledge that. They know, even if they haven't acknowledged it with their own minds, they, they might have the sense of it. I mean, especially demons and, and the demons and, and, and Satan are, are aware that their end is coming. They're trying to take as many with them before they go, trying to harass as many of the believers as they go. That they're aware of this. And this is what is striking up um, these battles that we, a lot of us face. So maybe instead of, you know, beating ourselves up when we do come ac across hardship, we can accept that these hardships are also based on the fact that we have been called. You know, like Philippians says, like we've been, um, it's almost like it's a gift at times for us to suffer with Christ, to experience the suffering of Christ in our bodies and in our lives. Oh, sounds terrible. I understand that. But it's a, it's, a, it's a demonstration of how we've been made righteous and how we do have enemies, but we can trust in this. And I want to say this one last thing before we close, okay? It's one last thing. I remember I was thinking about this, you know, um, I was thinking about this one picture I saw a while back. This has been a great time for me to have a clip from The Lion King, but I don't have it. Um, but... I was thinking, I saw this picture and it was a picture of like a, a, like a male lion, the big mane, and then a little cub, like kind of at its feet. And I saw the picture and right away. I was like, Oh, it speaks to my heart so much. Like it doesn't usually happen for me that way, but I saw it and it was just, it just moved me when I saw it because it spoke so much about how our heavenly father is like a roaring, he's like a fierce Lying, like it just, um, or even how Jesus describes it is the lion of Judah is able to stand guard um, over us. And as, as we are his children, we can stand in the shadow of his power, his power to do harm to those who are evil, but also his power to do good to us. Right? He's not a tame lion like in Chronicles of Narnia talks about. 
And right away, it reminded me of this. It just kind of picture came to me of, you know, a, a lion. A lion that thinks it's a mouse <laughs> is actually a tragedy, right? Because uh, if there was a lion, I thought it was a mouse, you know, it would it'd be running in a corner, it would be hiding from you. Um, it, it, would, it would think that you could harm it, you know, as a human being. And the opposite is completely true. And um, maybe you want to feed it cheese and it only wants to eat cheese. It doesn't want to eat, you know, uh, an antelope, right? And it's just a tragedy if you would see that. <clears throat> but is that how lions behave? No. Lions know they're lions. And a lion who knows it's a lion, you don't want to mess with. I mean, I mean, like even with zoos and stuff like that, like these, the people who work with lions and zoos and maybe in like circuses and stuff like that, I don't even, are those things outlawed now? Anyway, that's another question. But people who work with lions, you know, they have immense respect for the power of a lion. Because a lion knows it's a lion. And if it wanted to exercise its power on you, that would do you a lot of harm. And it just gave me a picture of us. Like sometimes we forget that, that it's like father, like son or daughter. Just like, this, just like these two songs want to demonstrate. His power, his, his great power to do good, we have now inherited it. It's within us. And sometimes we shy away from opportunities to love on others, uh, to, to be there, to rescue others, because we're afraid that, you know, people don't think we're good enough anyway. And we kind of back away from that. And the imposter syndrome comes to mind. You're like, ah, I'm not good enough. Um, you know, and, and I don't want people to see that I'm not good enough. So I won't even reach out to them. I just stay away. But if we live in the authority that we have, the power to do good, if a lion believes it's a lion, it could do incredible. Like, I mean, it's an extremely powerful animal, right? And some of us are, you know, the enemy wants to get us in a corner. You know, I'm imagining like, like zookeepers with tasers on the end of their stick, like trying to put a lion in a corner. But they, they, they are doing everything in their power <laughs> to respect that power of that lion. And sometimes the enemy wants to come and do that to us. And sometimes we start cowering, believing we're mice. Oh, no, no, no. All this is happening to me. And we just accept it. But a lion knows it's a lion. And when we know who we are in Christ, when we step into the authority, we're going to talk more about it next week. When we step into the authority that we are as children of God, the enemy is afraid. And he takes a step back. And he understands by what power that we have confidence in and has to treat and has to, you know, play it safe around this. Let's receive that today, that we are lions and we need to know <laughs> that we are lions, that we have been empowered by God and we can know by the shadow of a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, um, that, that the one that created the whole earth, you know, Revelation talks about, you know, you know, Jesus is holding seven suns, seven stars in his hands. You know, the earth can go into the sun however many times. It's an immense power that God has. Well, we are now his children and, and he lives in us and we have affectionate reverence for him. We can fear the Lord. We have affectionate reverence for him because we know his power and we live out of that then we can do immense good for ourselves and for others. Um, so thanks so much for joining with us this morning. Um, how are we doing? What are we doing for time? Are we, are we, are we okay? Yeah. 
I, I just I just want to do this. I just want to I just want to read this verse again as a blessing, and then we're gonna we're gonna hear um, a great song that I think relates to this perfectly. Okay, so let me speak this as a blessing on you to close this morning. Thanks so much for your time. Praise the Lord. This is you. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man or woman who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. Your children's children's children will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady, and he will not be afraid. Until he looks in triumph on his adversaries, he has distributed freely, and he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever, and his horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry, and he gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked against you, the righteous, will perish. Blessings on you guys today. Have a great Father's Day, fathers, um, and uh, we'll be praying for you. Take care. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.